It's been a long 168 hours, but we are back in the saddle here at the Hammer Podcast with half our theological brains tied behind our back just to make it fair. (laughs) We're kind like that. We're kind like that. We are very kind souls. That's right, friends. So to all our hammerheads out there, it is time to begin. Now, Pastor Mike, we... um. This past Sunday, we've been talking about Satan and the demons, and you had mentioned that Satan has known all the way back from God's prophecy in Genesis 3, verse 15, that there would come a Redeemer, and he, the Messiah, would destroy him, Satan. Now, from the moment that Satan, the moment, from that moment on, right, Satan has done all he could in vain to, of course, stop the cross from becoming a reality. Can you elaborate on that idea a little bit more for us? Satan's dastardly deeds to stop the cross from happening? Yes, absolutely. Well, as we know, uh, he understood enough in Genesis 3, 15, after the fall. Uh, he understood that there would come one. And this is why it's called the Proto-Evangelium, like the first announcement of the gospel. And you say, well, wait a minute. It doesn't tell us a whole lot there. Well, it doesn't tell us everything about the gospel there. But it makes clear reference that there would come one. Right. And Satan certainly knew that this one would... would, In fact, I would argue that he, Satan, knew exactly who it would ultimately be. Because remember, Satan hung out uh, in heaven. Right. And the Trinity has always existed. So Right. So he had a little more insight than we did, but, but he clearly knew there would come one who we know as the Messiah, the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who would crush his head. So what does he want to do? He wants to make sure he doesn't come on the scene. Right. Now, we hear that and we say, how can anyone fight against God. I mean, that's just stupid. That's foolish. The height of pride. Right. Well, exactly. <laughs> that's what he does. Yep. That's what Satan does. And 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 you can see this, uh, his attempt at keeping the Messiah from being born all throughout the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, to keep him from being born and then going to the cross. Right. Because he knew at the cross his defeat would become a reality. It already was a reality in God's mind, right? Which meant it was going to happen, but it was become it was going to become a real reality in time, right? Uh, when Jesus went to the cross, so think of Cain and Abel. Sure, yeah, right, right. Cain kills Abel, so we there there you go again. Uh, that's Satan right away, trying to make sure that the Messiah came to be born. Then we have Genesis six and the attempt at polluting the line. Right. The messianic line. Which ended in the uh, being locked into the abyss. That's right. Uh, you've got uh, the, the whole story of, of Ishmael, right? And, and Isaac. Right. Uh, if he can get Ishmael in there, right, then, again, he can mess up the messianic line. Uh, Jacob and Esau. Yeah, right. right? We, it comes again. Right. We, we see that again. Joseph being sold into slavery. So, so right in the book of... Genesis, we have several attempts of Satan to try to make sure that ultimately Jesus Christ 
does not actually come, be born, conceived and born of the virgin, and then go to the cross. Well, yeah, and I love the Joseph one because here he thinks, all right, I'm going to disrupt the whole family unit. Right. Joseph is going to be, quote-unquote, dead and gone. Then this famine happens onto the land, which is going to then wipe out all of the family. That's right. But then where did the family go? To Egypt to be in front of none only than Joseph, who protects them all. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Turns the whole thing on its head. Exactly. And then we go beyond that, and we have Pharaoh killing the Hebrew boys, right? Yep. Or at least attempting to. Yep, but those Hebrew women, they were so um, fast in childbirth, they couldn't kill them. Exactly, exactly. And then, you know, and then we have, I think it's Ezra 9 and 10, the only time in Scripture... And please hear this in context, or we're really going to have trouble. But the only time in Scripture where God actually commands divorce, uh, the Israelites are beginning to, to intermarry, and the issue here has nothing to do with, like today, everybody, this is racism. There's one race, the human race. So amen. let's get that right, and then you'll have some good footing, all right? Amen, amen. So, but people will say... They look at things like we do today, right? And they try to look at color and nationality. That, that's not what was going on. That's not why God said don't intermarry. He said don't intermarry because of the messianic line. Right. All of this pointed to Christ. When they began to intermarry, and so in Ezra 9 and 10, God says put them away. Put these wives away uh, that you intermarry. So the only time God ever commands divorce, Ezra 9 and 10, that would be a good uh uh, a good question to ask people, do you know? The only time God ever commands divorce. That's right. Uh, but, it, you know, then you, you get beyond that, and, of course, Jesus is born. So then Herod's decree, right, right, to kill the male children. Then you get beyond that and the testing of Jesus uh, by Satan in the wilderness, which, of course, didn't work. So he, he did everything that he could. And then he really didn't stop then, because then we see people trying to get their hands on Jesus to stone him, to to kill him. Right. And then even when, uh, and it's interesting, you know, because Satan succeeded on on the one hand, if you want to call it that, uh, to get the uh, Jewish religious elite and many others and many of the Romans uh, against Jesus, right? Right. Like he succeeded in getting hatred in their heart toward and, Jesus. Yeah. So what do they do? They well, kill we're him. We're going to kill him. <laughs> right. But, which then. But that crushes him. Right. That's now right. we know God is overseeing all of this because Acts 2, right? Verse 43, Jesus is delivered up the very specific time in history, the exact time God wants it. He's ordained all of this, it all happens the way he wants it. Right. Right. So, so yeah, Satan has always been, or was always about trying to keep Jesus ultimately from the cross, knowing that that would seal his ultimate defeat. And as we know, he was not successful. Yep, I guess we could say that Satan is the perpetual loser. That's right. <laughs> uh, after four downs, he was out. So you know, you're so mean. You're not loving your neighbor. <laughs> And, and Satan is, could he be considered your neighbor? I don't know. I'm sure some people would probably suggest, son, you're being mean. I'm being very that's, mean that's to very certain mean. people that will no longer have a season after four downs. So back to further news. Uh, the fact that Jesus has already defeated Satan, though we await its full reality um, right. of his defeat in the end, 
How should that fact that Jesus has defeated him affect our lives on a practical level? Right? Because it's it's yeah. easy to think about as that as a question. theory, right. but right. practically, what does that mean for us? Yeah, yeah. Where 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 is the walk coming here? Right? The the lifeology with the That's theology. Right. Uh, I, I think off the top of my head, I think from a practical level, we we have we can overcome temptation and sin through the power of Christ. Uh, and part of the reason we can do that is because He has defeated uh, the the powers of darkness. Right. So even though Satan is still the prince of the power of this air, right? He's he's defeated, and everything's being put under Jesus' feet. And once all the enemies and everything's subdued uh, in the way that God intends to do it, of course, Christ will will come back. So, uh, so I think right away we can look and say, look, we we can when we're being tempted, we don't have to give in to that temptation, right? Jesus has won. Right. He, he, so we, we can never say the temptation was just too great. Because sometimes we like to do that. I talk to people sometimes, and I, I never verbalize it that way, but maybe uh, I have those thoughts too. I don't know, but I've certainly talked to people that actually say that. They say, you just don't understand. I, I can't resist this. Mm-hmm. Whatever the this is, whatever that sin is, I, I can't resist it. Well, no, we can. And we can because of the reality that Christ triumphed uh, through the cross. And his triumph in that way is, is our triumph. So, so we absolutely can, uh, can overcome temptation and sin. The next time we are tempted to, uh, to, to drink too much or the next time we're tempted to be angry, to, uh, to, to yell... Hold a grudge. And our spouse or our coworker or our neighbor or, yeah, or hold our grudge, hold a grudge. Um, or click on that link or look up the wrong thing, the thing that we shouldn't be looking up, right? We, we, can, we can overcome that. Right. And so that's where I think it gets practical. And I think also just in the area of anxiety. I mean, we live in a time where I, I don't know that I've seen so many people so anxious. Um. And well, there there seems to be practically a lot of things to be anxious about. Exactly, and if we focus on that and not the cross, we will become anxious, right? Right. So the fact of Satan's def- uh, a certain defeat and Jesus sealing the deal on that through the cross uh, should help us with our anxiety. You know, cast our cares upon Him. He, he's already defeated. Right. Uh, Satan. So I mean, those are just a couple practical ways. Certainly, we could name many more, but. A couple of very practical ways that this truth of the cross and Jesus' defeat of Satan and his program uh, and his plans and what he would like to do uh, ultimately at the cross. And so we, uh, we can praise Jesus for it, and it makes a difference in our daily lives. It should. I'm not speaking as one who's mastered this. I'm talking to myself here. Right, right. No, amen. Well, and... I guess sometimes there is a temptation, even as we said last week, yeah. to feel like Satan... If we aren't theologically clear on the issue, right. it's easy to yeah. think that Satan is somehow outside of God's power, right? That he coexists sure. in some sort of equal divine authorities, and so he's always trying to plot against God, and yeah, that's you know, right. maybe one time he'll get the better hand of God and win some sort of 
short-term battle, right. and this truth that he has been defeated, he is under God's authority. Right. And that's why he's so vicious. Right. Yeah, because he's... He's vicious because he's boxed in, he's cornered, he's defeated. Right. Uh, so he's he's mad. That's why he's a roaring lion. Mm-hmm. Looking even though for someone a, to devour. Right, even though he comes as an angel of light. Right. Uh, he comes as a politician, but he's a... A he's smooth a, talker. Right, but he's a roaring lion, Scripture tells us. Right. Well, and, you know, you mentioned a politician. Culturally, how does this understanding of Satan's defeat and his position in the plan and program of God... Like, how does that impact our view of the culture? Yeah, and 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 what are the cultural ramifications of this, right? Well, right. I, you know, I think that there's so much confusion in in our world uh, over just about everything. Uh, but I think for us as believers, we want to keep Christ and the cross central because that's our message, right? So it gets back to, I feel like we say this almost every week when we get to the, the, the cultural uh, point here of whatever the topic is that we're dealing with, how does it bear, right, on, right. on, on the culture and on our apologetics and on our evangelism. And I think here, uh, again, we, we just want to portray biblical truth, and we, we want to walk around as people that humbly know, uh, right, we don't want to be boastful, we boast, we boast in Christ. right. But we, we want to walk around as those who are humbly confident. There's a good term. We get, yeah, humbly hum, confident, right? Humbly we're we're humble because it's not us. Right. It's all Jesus. But And we're confident, not in ourselves, but in Him. Right. We know He's won. That's right. We know the, the enemy's been defeated. Just as we, 1 John 5 eight, we talked about this past week, right? Saint, we are protected by Jesus, and Satan cannot... Touch us, mm-hmm. and he can't even tempt us uh, outside of God's allowing it. Mm-hmm. Right, and we're told in Scripture God always gives us a way out. Right, That's right. Corinthians. So, uh, so that should that that should. I mean, we should be jumping, you know, up and down, praising God for this truth. Uh, so, just like with with any biblical truth, you know, again, we we want. We want to portray the truth of the culture, and we want the culture to be focused upon Christ, focused upon the cross, which is most important, uh, most crucial. Right. And look, is the culture going to like what we have to say about almost anything? No, of course not. No. Nope. We want to make sure, you know, we just talked about Satan, right? The Bible yeah. says he's a, ultimately a roaring lion, going around, right, seeking whom he may devour. But yet, so that's what he is in reality. But the way that he tries to do this is to trick people and to fool people by coming across as an angel of light, right? That's right. Well, we we shouldn't be like that. Mm-hmm. So, so this whole, you know, crapola, love your neighbors to <laughs> so do this, do that. That was a theological okay, yeah, term. Yeah, I'm getting a little worked up. We, we, we're we're going to have some edits to make here soon. But, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, but this whole thing, right, all you are is like Satan. An angel of light, right? Just, just lying to people. You know, you're not loving your neighbor. You're lying to your neighbor mm. and just making them feel a little better on their road to hell. That's Hashtag not our job. Lying to your neighbor, right? Our job is to our responsibility before God 
because he's going to work in the heart and give the increase. Right? Our job is to lovingly but with grace and truth. And see, the problem is today, if you say anything with any, hey, two plus two is absolutely four. That You're not mean. loving. You're That's not some... loving. <laughs> that wasn't with grace and truth. And so no. it would be better to say, I don't know what it is. You're so wonderful. Or, you know, you think two plus two is five. Oh, that, that's special. That might be. And people say, see, that's better because that's loving. No, yeah. no, that that's lying. Lying is never loving. That's right. Right? So we need to make sure that we're not being like Satan. Right. Or where, being deceived by Satan in all these cultural lies. Right. And then becoming like him. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I suppose, of course, what's at work in a lot of this are people that only profess to be believers and, uh, you know, the, the Russell Moores of the world and these, these sort of people. Yeah. No. Uh, you know, he started out as a, a, a Democratic uh, operative and then allegedly got saved and all this. Then you look at him now and you say, well, whatever changed? You know, there's a uh, lot of much. truth to that. There's not much. There's a lot of truth to that. So... All right, well, good. Well, yeah, that's right. Snurdly's over here telling us we need to move to the Inquisition. That's right, the fan favorite. So let me turn uh, here to our vault. See if you can be careful. Open that, uh, open that vault that's up. That's right. It gets... It's a little heavy. Okay, yeah, and so... There we go. Now, look, this is a great story. Before I... um. Get to the question. We had a young lady after the service. Our door to the vault had actually been left open. And before we could get to close it, she rushed in with a question. Yeah, I think Charlie left that open. We're going to have to deal with that. but We will have to talk about that later. Yeah. These, your questions are sacred to us, and we protect them for future viewing. Okay? So, but the question was put in, and it happens to be actually a... Um, a really good question, right? So I have here in my formerly wing-stained hands our question of the Inquisition. She wanted to know, how should chapter 9 of Mark, where we see the disciples, they're right, the disciples see someone casting out or at least trying to cast out demons in Jesus' name. And the disciples tried to prevent them from doing that. That is, they were telling them not to do it. But Jesus, he tells the disciples, do not prevent him, for whoever is not against us is for us. So how should that be understood? Yeah, sure. Well, it certainly is an interesting, uh, interesting story. Uh, John says to Jesus, teacher, we saw, right? Uh, in Mark 9, uh, beginning in verse 38, so he's speaking for all the disciples, which is a bit unusual. Mm -hmm. uh, typically, it's Peter. Yes, right? you don't, the first pope. Yeah, Duh. right, right. Yeah, you don't normally <laughs> see John speaking, but but they obviously think they've done a good thing, and uh, once again, Jesus kind of surprises them. But the question is, what, what what do we make of this? Well, we don't know if these people truly were uh, casting out demons, or they were just attempting to. The text is like the sons of Skeva. Exactly. You know, the, the te <laughs> well, they didn't get their butt whipped like the sons like of Skeva. Like Hunter. I mean, right. Um, so you know, but uh, look, I, I don't know exactly uh, what's going on in that text. Whether or not they did. Some people think, well, they're part of the seventy that Jesus sent out, 
okay, and, and right. gave them that ability. Uh, and that this is the disciples maybe kind of being a little exclusive in their club and kind of like, wait a minute, you only that's reserved for us. But that's kind of reading into the text. It doesn't say that. It, it, that could be what's going on. It could be a, a prideful thing for, for the disciples. Some say, hey, the disciples remember that they couldn't cast out uh, every kind of demon. And right. so they see these people doing it once again, maybe get a little jealous and say, hey, don't do that. Um, I, don't, I don't take that particular view, though. That's possible. I think what Jesus is saying, and I will let the listener be the diligent Berean That's and right, find listener. out for themselves. But what I think, what I think is happening here is Jesus is just saying, look, that they're they may not have all the finer points of theology down right now. And by the way, you disciples don't either. Uh, Sorry to break the news to you. Yeah, you know, last week on the boat, you guys weren't doing too well. Um, so yeah. So I, I think Jesus is, is kind of saying, look, even if someone is out there, now keep in mind the context and where you're at, right? The church hasn't even officially begun yet, right? Uh, so I'm not saying this is a philosophy for us to have in the same way today, okay? But I think what Jesus was saying, look, if somebody's out there trying to, whether or not they really are or not, if somebody's out there trying to cast out demons and invoking my name, right, then let it be Mm -hmm. that that's not the time to give them a class on demonology and all that, that this will come in due time. The Holy Spirit's going to come soon. Then you guys will get a whole lot more understanding. Right. Okay. I mean, right. I think we need to think about what would life, what would our lives be if we didn't have the indwelling Holy Spirit? I don't know that you can even imagine what it would be like without the Holy Spirit. Right. right? I, mean, I, I mean, I just, what would it be like if the Holy Spirit didn't permanently indwell us? Yeah. Right? That's right. Uh, so, anyway, so I think at least as a principle, Jesus was saying to them, look, just, just let it be. If 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 they're out there doing that, they may well be believers who maybe their theology is not perfect. Mm-hmm. And and you know what? Maybe as they're trying to cast these demons out, they're praying also, and so it's God doing it, and they think they're doing it every once in a while. Who knows? Maybe they're like that that woodpecker, right? That was flying in Georgia, and big storm comes in, and and uh, and he pecks on a tree, and at that very moment, lightning hits the tree, splits it in two. And that woodpecker it, is awesome. That's right. And then <laughs> a half an hour later, the the woodpecker's flying back with the with the whole other group of his buddies, and he points down at the tree and says, "Well, there it is, guys." You know, as if he did it, right? Yeah, right, right. Uh, so maybe some of that's going on. But I just think Jesus is saying in general, look. If somebody's for us, right? If somebody is is trying to cast out again, even if they're not actually doing it, but but they're trying to cast out demons, then they're for us. Now mm-hmm. think about later, when uh, in fact we're going to see this coming soon in Matthew, right? When it, the Jews themselves accuse Saint or Jesus of doing. What he does through the power of Beelzebub, Satan. Satan, right. What example does Jesus use? He goes back to the fact that he cast out some demons, right? And he says, well, now, wait a minute. Why would I, if I were doing it, 
right? If I were doing Satan's bidding and doing it under his own power, why would I cast out his own demons? A house divided cannot stand. Yep. So I think in that way, Jesus would say, look, they're in, they're in our house, right? Mm-hmm. We, we, we don't want to be divided. We'll deal with some of the finer theological points, but, but if they're for us, we can deal with some of the differences that we might have. So I do think there would be some application to that sure. when we talk about the fact that, uh, you know, you don't have to be a, a, an amillennialist, postmillennialist, premillennialist. You, you know, we can, we can all work together. Right. Uh, some of us are right and the rest of you are wrong, but it's okay. We, we can work there. We don't have we'll to forgive all you be for being wrong. the, we'll the same, you. right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, so I, I think that's kind of the vein in which Jesus is speaking again. Uh, let the reader or the listener, you know, decide that by going to study. But that—that's how I would take it. Yeah, is it similar to the Philippians passage where some of the guys were preaching Christ in vain, like selfishly? And Paul's like, "Look, whether they preach it for the right motives or the wrong motives, <clears throat> in the end, mm, yeah. Jesus is still being preached." Or is there not? Would those be similar? Oh, that's a good point. I, I think there's—I uh, think there's some similarity there. Uh, it's certainly d- different in a sense, but I think there's some similarity where Paul is mature enough mm-hmm. to say, you know what, this isn't about me. Mm-hmm. And if in their own hearts they've got an issue with me, I, as long as the gospel they're preaching is true, right? I'm not. I'm going to rejoice that the true gospel is being preached, and we whatever. Right. God will deal with them for whatever they think about me or any jealousies they might have or whatever. Right, yeah. That's good. Um, so a little bit different, but yet I think somewhat the same vein. Uh, so at any rate, that would be my take on it. But I tell you what, I'm looking forward to uh, to what we've got coming up next time uh, as we're going to actually add a, a segment. We're not going to run any longer. But we're going the hammerheads to... are getting excited. Yes. at this very comment, I can hear yes, them. Yes, we're going to uh, across begin, the radio waves. Yes, begin to open up the phone lines and take a a, a phone call, uh, and we're going to try to do this maybe one phone call okay. per per episode. Yeah, I th- this is this is going to become this might trump the Inquisition having the the fan phone call. Yeah, it might. It might be. I would say uh, we'll, we'll see how this goes. I, we're not going to give the number out yet because we're afraid that there will be people calling, trying to get in line right now and be on hold for 168 Eight hours. hours. And we don't want you to do that. That's right. That would be a long time to wait, friends. And, you know, we just don't have the, the internal mechanism. So, good. Well, this is, we're excited. I know everyone out there is excited. So sleep tight. <laughs>